0: Please pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you came to bring us home, to bring us into a kingdom that's filled with your glory, that we would um, know where we really belong and that we would shine with the same brightness that you shine with. We are grateful, Lord, for this. We pray that it would be renewed in us today or we would come into it perhaps for the first time the reality of what it means to be part of your family, to be a saint who can reflect your glory. I pray this in your holy name, amen. So I'm gonna grab a stool here, and the reason I thought about this, okay, this could be a little risky putting it up here, but um, in our gospel passage, Jesus sees the crowds, and he sits down, and then he opens his mouth. And uh, I think everybody's beginning to understand that Jesus is um, the Messiah, and that means he's got a certain amount of authority. And so when you take your seat in the midst of them, that's conveying a self-understanding of authority. And, um, but it's also, I think, it's a settled position, isn't it? I mean, I, he is settled when he sets himself down. And um, there's something very strengthening about that. There's something very confident and assured about that. That Jesus is settled into his kingdom authority, and he is also inviting us into a same similar way of enjoying the life that he means to give us. I mean, the whole kingdom idea is that, look, this is, this is my family, but I'm going to make you part of it, and my father will be your father, and I'm even teaching you a prayer. We're going to say our father together. You're going to be part of this family. Today is All All Saints Sunday. We're celebrating the Feast of All Saints today, so that's why we're in all the white. Just reminding us that all of us who've been baptized, we have washed our robes in the blood of the Lamb. We have been cleansed. And uh, so we are invited to be renewed in that Reality of what it means to be part of his family. This is like family, you know, if, if you could imagine like everybody in the family sort of like, uh, oh, maybe Sound of Music, you know, all the kids, they're wearing the same garments from the, the same majestic curtains, and they are, there. these are the majestic curtains of the kingdom to come, which we get to wear, and we get to sing, enjoy, and celebrate the truth of who we really are. That's what it means to be a saint. It means to be like our father in heaven. It's it's to bear the family traits and to really own it and to settle into it, to wear it and to enjoy it. And uh, I think that's part of what Matthew is conveying by describing Jesus as setting down. He's going to confer upon us the right to enter into that same reality. And he wants us to own it. Um. This is a family, by the way. And one of the things we celebrate in the All Saints Feast is that this family is so strong in its identity. Uh, the word we used in our opening prayer was virtuous. That's just another way of saying strong, virtuous, strong. And it's so strong in the life of God, which is a godly and good life. It's so strong in the life of God that it doesn't end. So this is, this is actually a, a family bond of love whose bonds of love are so strong in divine strength that they're not going to be broken, not even by death. There's nothing, in fact, that can separate us from this loving bond of the family of God, not, not our sin, not our shame, not even our death. And so we're really rejoicing in the gracious reality that can never be lost, the luster of this family garment that's never going to fade. We get to enjoy it. Eternally, this is an eternal family reality. So, part of what we're enjoying today in the communion of the saints is that this is a really burnished, bright, and never fading reality that he's inviting us into. That's part of what he wants us to get clear about, and that brings me to what I want to focus on right in the middle of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, you know, Jesus is sitting down. He's going to tell them, so this is what kingdom life is like. This is what family life is like. This is what it means to be part of the family, to be a saint, if you will, to be holy like your Father in heaven, who's holy. And he says, here's eight things. It's interesting that he says eight things. Um, it would be very significant to the Christians of the early church um, Every single baptismal font right at the entryway of the church would have an octagonal shape to it, eight sides to it, because it was a reminder that we have been baptized into a new life that started on the resurrection when Jesus rises from the dead, and then when we're baptized into him, we're baptized into that same life. It's eight sides because that was the eighth day of the week. And other words, the first day of the new creation is the eighth day, if you will, of the old creation. But we're baptized into something that's brand new and it's so sweet and it's so good and it's so alive it's never gonna die. And so he gives us eight qualities of what it means to be like him. And I wanna say this, first of all, all of these are, they're kind of put in a divine passive, if you will, the words that he's using, Th- they describe how it is to be part of the family. And it will engage us, it does engage us, but it's not something we have to fight, it's something we get to express. Something we get to cooperate with. It's actually part of a life principle that we've come into when we've, once we've been baptized into him. This is the nature of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God who really makes us to know that we are his children. Right, So there's something that he's doing here first and fundamentally as a grace, gracious gift. And he's just describing it in these eight different ways. Here's eight family traits about what it's like to be in the family of God. And we're not gonna go through all eight. You can breathe a sigh of relief. But we are gonna take right smack on the little middle of them, um, one of them. I felt really led today to talk about um, uh, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God, so I'm going to take that apart a little bit, but let me uh, just emphasize the first word um, briefly, that word, blessed, I mean, I think we d- we've heard this so many times, if you've grown up in church at all, and probably even if you haven't grown up in church, you've probably heard Beatitudes before, and you're just kind of like, yeah, 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 okay, this is good, I'm glad that we still have that, um, but um, What he's saying is something that really should be catching our attention if we're hearing it in the right way. A lot of times I I like to read a new translation of the Bible, provided it's a good translation, partly because it reawakens us to the shocking reality of the joy and the goodness of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And so when he says blessed, uh, one of the recent translations that I like by uh, David Bentley Hart, he said, I, you know, I couldn't come up with a, a good word exactly the way that it comes across in the Greek, but here's my best attempt, blissful, blissful. I mean, I think we maybe have a sense of it when we talk about weddings. We talk about, you know, um, the bliss of the marriage when it's brand new, you know, wedded bliss. And it's such a, an incredible, joyful thing uh, at that moment. We to use that word still. It's a little bit archaic, but we'll still say bliss. And uh, he wants us to understand that this is divine blessing and it is blissful. We're meant to live in a joyful condition when we're in relationship with him. That's really what it's supposed to be like. And so every single one of these qualities of being part of the family of God is, is about bliss. All right, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I want to stand. I just can't help it. I've made my point. Um, <laughs> and uh, by the way, this is a resurrection posture too. So this is another way of just emphasizing the, the reality into which we're called. And um, but the, the interesting connection that he's making right here in the middle, this is kind of a, a central part of these eight. There's two verses or two qualities right at the middle and this is one of them that, um, you know, blessed are those or blissful are those who are pure of heart for they shall see God. Now he's, he's describing something that is to come He's describing something that will be completely fulfilled. The way that John describes it, by the way, is he, he says we're actually gonna be like him when we see him as he is. We don't know exactly what that's gonna be like, but we will shine brightly with that holy brightness and that divine glory that we're meant to shine with. And we can actually start to shine with that a little bit here in earth because that's, it is our birthright. It's part of our inheritance. It's part of the truth of who we are. And um, the way John puts it, actually, is that uh, right now, the way that we see him, it's more of a down payment way. He says it's, it's about hoping. It's about hoping in him, looking to him as our hope, that we then purify ourselves as he is pure. In other words, I think what he's saying is if, if we can get really clear clear is a good word, isn't it? It's a clear, um, like our vision. If our vision can get really clear, we'll see him, and our vision getting clear has to do with having a cleansed heart. There's this really interesting connection between getting clear enough to see him and having a heart that's cleansed. Um, it's a reciprocal relationship. It's something that Jesus sparks to life in us through the gift of his Holy Spirit when we're baptized into that life. It's sparked to life in us. But it's something then that we have to continue to sort of feed with belief and hope and love. Those divine ways of describing how we keep that flame growing in our hearts and increasingly purifying us. But, um, is it the desire of your heart to see God? I mean, this was one of the things that, that the, the Jewish people so wanted. I mean, Moses said, let me see your glory, right? And at that point, he hadn't, he hadn't really enjoyed all the things that even that we have enjoyed because we've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. And there's a way that in which God had to hide the fullness of that glory. But there's something that Jesus has done in his coming into our midst. We look at him and we can see the face of the Father, We can see him. We can begin to have that life through this visual connection and the remembrance of that. We do that every week. We can begin to see him and be changed from one glory to another. We can begin to radiate with that in our lives. We can begin to enter into that hope, and it's palpable and it shines. I love the way the psalmist puts it look upon him and be radiant. We're meant to be radiant. We're supposed to be kind of radioactive. I mean, we're supposed to shine, not in a poisonous way, but a blessed way, and be people who are blessed in blessing. So let not your faces be ashamed. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. See that the Lord is good. Happy are those who trust him, and that's The desire that he's planted in our heart is to see him and to know him and be known by him. And to get really clear about that. Do you want that? Do you desire that? That's part of what um, we need to understand is the work of the heart that we need to activate is to desire. The heart in the Hebrew understanding is it's really the center of who we are. It's the center of our desires. It's the center of our affections and our emotions. It's sometimes really guarded and blocked up by fear and other passions that hurt and shut us down. But it's about the heart being cleansed. Psalmist even puts it. Psalm twenty-four says, "Who who gets to go into the presence of God? I want to be in the presence of God. Who gets to go into the presence of God? God those who have had their hearts, their hands washed and their hearts cleansed." By the way, we we do this every week. We have this colic for purity. Almighty God, into whom all hearts are open, He actually sees our heart. By the way, He actually knows our desires. There's no secret that we can hide from him. We pray this every week. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And so that is part of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. It's part of the renewal we get to do every week. We even put that, um, there's a font there. It's a little bowl. Unfortunately, it's not eight-sided, but it's right there at the entry behind uh, Karina. Karina. And we do that because we wanna remind ourselves of that reality of our baptism, remind ourselves, put us in mind of this baptismal reality that we are really his. This is truly what it means to be part of the family of God. We are born into this thing and we're connected to him. And today it's about having those eyes of our heart opened again. And eyes and heart, by the way, I, we're learning a lot about this in, in, um, in, in science in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. There's an incredible uh, relationship between our physical eyes and our physical heart as well. And so there's this um, interesting thing where you actually, if you can create some occipital um, you know, eye pressure up here, it can actually slow down your heart rate. So, if you're really, really stirred up about something, um, exercising and using some of these upper facial muscles and the breathing muscles through your nose, that actually you can calm down your heart rate, which is an interesting thing. There is this connection even physically. So, um, when the scriptures start to use these, these um, expressions, these metaphors, they're speaking so wisely to us as embodied people that. They would want us to activate our eyes and also cleanse our hearts and that they would connect the two and Jesus is doing that. He's getting at something that's very human about us, isn't he? Uh, We call the eyes uh, the windows to the soul. We could say the windows to the heart, right? And if we are seeing truly, then we get connected to somebody and if we see them truly, we're seeing them lovingly, right? We're seeing them with the eyes of love and to be seen, really seen, with eyes that love, that ultimately is about relationship. That's what it comes down to, it's relationship. So we all wanna be in a loving relationship. One of the main ways this happens is through the eyes. Um, The most profound example of it often, uh, I I think of two things immediately. I think of the, the connection between the mother and the baby. And the way that the eyes light up in both and it just, it starts to amplify. We've talked about that from this pulpit a few different times. And it just amplifies and amplifies and it's an explosion of little joy between a mother and a baby, that connection. They actually call it, the scientists even call it a joy connection. Or I would say the lover's eyes, especially in those, those honeymoon days, right? Those eyes, I love the Russian expression for it, the lubovotsya, the eyes that love. It's so good. You feel it, don't you? (laughs) But these eyes, I mean, they they actually disclose the heart, um, but it's interesting, eyes can close as well. Um, They both reveal and they conceal. The way that we see one another or don't see one another is very diagnostic. Hey, do you see me? You guys see me? Does everybody see me? Can you see me right now? (laughs) I'm being a little bit silly. Uh, we joke about this, especially as preachers. We, we, um, we tend to think of the preaching thing as a relational thing, like I've been saying, um, but we often don't realize when we're sitting out there, the preacher can actually see you, too. It's amazing. I can actually see you all the way to the back row. Hi, <laughs> hey Seth. Hey, Amanda. Um, what it, it, I, I, lost, I used to love watching Father Steve when he was out there. Now I can't do it. You guys have to tell me how he's looking these days. But I used to love watching Father Steve. He'd be sitting there, and I'd be talking, and he'd be like, like that. I'm like, Steve, do you realize I can see you? I know you might not like that point, but I can actually see you. This is a relational thing that's happening right now. <laughs> So eyes reveal and they conceal and they say a lot about our relational condition. Are you willing to be seen? Are you willing to be known? Are you willing to be in relationship? This is a desire of our heart. We're meant for this, but especially to be in relationship with God. He wants to clear and cleanse the eyes of our hearts to be in relationship. Let's think about a couple reasons we might not want to do that. What's that... um, you know, when you, when you feel shame, you avert your eyes. Have you thought about that? This is something I've struggled with. I, I didn't explicitly notice it for a long time, but I, I, at a certain age, I began to realize, man, I have a really hard time just looking somebody in the eye and holding that. That was hard for me. And I realized it was, it was rooted in some pretty deep pain that I had from early days. Like, I don't even really fully remember where it started, but... Um, I would look at somebody for a little while, but then I'd be like, "Oh, I, I really I don't want to keep looking because I don't I don't want them to maybe see I'm not good inside. That's how I felt. I'm not worthy of being related to. And uh, that's shame. I think sometimes the shame, of course, is is related to um, it could be actual guilt. By the way, so when we when we come to the end of the sermon. And we begin to do our confession. You know, there's sometimes a reason why we look away because we actually do feel a bit bad man. Sometimes when I would be making eye contact normally with Jeannie, I'm looking away because I know I hurt her. It's my fault. And so that relationship somehow needs to be restored. How is that restored? Um, when that happens, I want to say a couple things about that. But one is to make confession. When we use the water there, it's a way of saying, Lord, I need, to be, I need that conscience to be cleansed again. It's, a, it's almost a confession in that moment. But when we make our literal confession here on our knees, it's the same thing. Because Lord, I wanna be reconnected to you. And then it happens and then we can, we come to the table and we're reconnected. Uh, that's one way. By the way, I wanna just say, Jesus did not come to shame us in our condition. He did not come to condemn us. He's not really that interested. The, the classic example for me from the scriptures is how interested does Jesus appear to be in the woman caught in adultery? You got a whole lot of people who are like they're really ready to throw literal stones of accusation at that woman, and how interested is he in that? Not. He's drawing in the sand. But when does he look at her? He looks up when he notices that people are gone. He says, "Where are they? They've all gone." Well, then I don't condemn you either. I don't shame you either. And he's looking her in the eye, and he says, go and sin no more. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm forgiving you. That's the state of forgiveness, by the way, is I'm restoring you to relationship. I'm restoring you right now to relationship. All that's past, we're gonna leave that in the past now. That was then. This is now. Go, don't sin anymore. But we're in relationship now. And so one of the fundamental things that Jesus wants to say to us is that if you've been told again and again by an accuser in your life that you are no good and you're not worthy of being related to, and maybe you even feel like, well, I gave them a little bit of a justification for it. Jesus is saying, now I don't condemn you. I do not condemn you. Do not be ashamed. Go and sin no more. Enjoy life. Enjoy the relational life. These are the eyes of his forgiveness. And that's the first expression of his love towards us is one of compassion and forgiveness. And we don't need to avert our eyes in shame. If we look to him, we'll see that. Um, Sometimes, by the way, um, the other reason maybe we wouldn't want to necessarily look at him is because our eyes are darting away in fear, right? Right? And um, what does that mean? It means like we're, all of a sudden, we're very afraid and we're looking for a way of escape. Um, I gotta get out of here. Anxiety, kind of looking around, desperately trying to find a way emotionally to get out of a connection. And uh, our thoughts distracting us on the inside can sort of be an internal version of that. Um, There's also, by the way, the fear. Sometimes it can be a literal frozen in fear and then a kind of a glazed fear look. That's really, really intense fear, by the way. It's the most intense fear that you can have. Um, I think that the the mythological version of it would be you're so afraid that you turn to stone. (laughs) That's Medusa, right? It's such a frightening experience, something that's so deeply frightening to you that you glaze over and you're frozen in fear and you're completely shut down. I've had that experience a couple times in life and it's rooted in an early childhood trauma. But I remember one time it came up in business And I had just been like, this person had been really angry with me in business and it was unjustified and unpredictable and it came out of nowhere and I was so afraid. It was like all of a sudden, I was looking through the opposite end of the telescope and it was like, man, why? Everything's just withdrawing into this distant, distant place and I realized I was no longer where I was. I was like hidden in in a hole deep inside of myself because I was so afraid. I don't know what I looked at like on the outside, but I'm guessing I was a little bit like this, right? I was disconnected. I really wasn't seeing what I was seeing in a way. And um, a lot of times, by the way, what happens in fear too is, is everything shuts down and you don't, you're not even a- aware of yourself in the normal way that you'd be aware of yourself, and you even forget things. By the way, when you're in a big time argument and there's anger and fear going back and forth, you, you really don't know what's going on, so stop fighting about the facts of what happened because neither of you know what's going on. Just ac- accept that. That's just a truth. You can go to the bank on that one. You get what I'm saying there, by the way? If you are in the midst of a fight, there's a lot of anger and fear going back and forth. You don't know what's going on, so don't fight about the facts. Deal with the feelings, but don't fight about the facts because you're really not that well connected at that moment. But what does Jesus do as he looks with eyes of gentleness? Um, there, there's one other beatitude that this beatitude is connected to, the way this whole thing is structured. The other beatitude that this is connected to is, is meekness. And that word is so good because it's gentleness when you have power to destroy you are meek when you are gentle. That's meekness. Jesus has the power, obviously, to to really lay it on heavy and really condemn us and really make us feel his divine wrath, but he's meek, he's gentle, his eyes are gentle. So when we're afraid, um, his ministry is one of gentleness to us. The last um, thing that we might want to break vision for is that experience of anger and condemnation coming at us. Or maybe even the anger coming out of us. Anger either direction can really shut us down. And really fear is when anger, when you're on the receiving end of anger and condemnation. But when you yourself are angry and condemning, that too really shuts down relationship. Um, There are times when somebody's coming at you and they're coming at you with fierceness or cruelty and you can't any longer see them with eyes of love because it's just too raw, and two against you. I mean, imagine that this is how Jesus was experiencing the Pharisees, right? They're mocking him. Mockery is a very, very hurtful thing. And it would be natural to have an angry response to that. Um, sometimes anger is a really important defense. All of this is a legitimate defense. If you're afraid because a lion's about to jump down your throat, it's good to be afraid. That would be wisdom. It's also natural sometimes to push back hard against somebody who's coming against you. But when it becomes a constant, rigid, one-trick-only way of dealing with relationships when it gets a little challenging, then it can break relationship apart a lot. And... Um, a lot of times, that's that's what um, I think Mother Teresa is the one who coined the expression "the disturbing disguise." What, what's going on there? A lot of times is we're we're seeing that person um, come at us, and it's such a disturbance to our soul that we really want to we want to lay into them, want to make them pay for it. We want to exact vengeance. And so we want to really give it to them. Um, it could be because we feel like we're a frightened child, and, but now we're an adult, so we're going to exact all of the, the rage that came from our helpless infant state now on that person <laughs> who's reminding us, perhaps. But that is, that's a kind of a, a rage that can really... Follow us around a lot. Like, we're seeing that disturbing disguise everywhere, like masks of rage. And that just shuts us down from relationship. Does that make sense? Like, if that's one of the dominant things in your relational world right now, you're seeing a face of rage. It might be on different people. It might predominantly be on one person. And you have anger and reaction to that. That... That could be that anger's really cut you off from relationship. It also may be that you're being traumatized continually and you need to set a holy boundary. Um, one thing I would say about us, if we're in a constant state of fear or rage, that um, you might wanna set a holy boundary. God doesn't need us or want us to continue to suffer abuse without setting holy boundaries. And so if somebody's really in a, an abusive situation, I want you to hear what I'm saying right now. Um, Jesus already, and here's, I'm going to give you the cure for what I've just been talking about. He's already dealt with that. We don't need to take the blows on the stake. We don't need to take the nails into the hand and continue to be abused. He's already gone through that. And so let him solve the problem for you, but you maintain boundaries and uh, get help to maintain those boundaries if you need them. But what does Jesus do in the midst of that? He does still forgive. And we, setting holy boundaries, also need to forgive. They're raging at him, it makes no sense. But he doesn't get angry in response, he could. He says forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. In fact, his determination At that point, his anger is funneled into a determination to heal us because he loves us all the way to the end. He dies because of that, and for that reason, he wants to heal. And so a lot of those those folks who were standing there against him, some of them became Christians later on because of his stance of forgiveness. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And so even anger in Jesus Sinful anger is redeemed. And by the way, in his anger, he did not sin. So you can't be angry and not sin. He did it by intentionally moving towards healing. By the way, setting boundaries is actually a move towards healing because you're stopping somebody from continuing to sin against you. Does that make sense too? I love it that you guys are giving me way more visual feedback. I, f- I feel like you're hearing me today. All of this is about being renewed in the freedom of innocence. I cleanse and wash my heart and my hands in innocence, and all of this is the innocence of Jesus. Remember the freedom and the joy that you had as a child before all the horrible stuff? I mean, some of us, sadly, might not have very many remembrances of that, but usually when you have some good memories, it's from when you were a child, and it's, it's that innocence, exuberant enjoyment of life. And what Jesus would do by looking at us with the joy in his eyes is to re-communicate us with that holy innocence. It comes right out of his heart, literally the blood and the water, out of his heart and through his loving eyes to wash us and cleanse our eyes once again in innocence that we would be free and we would enjoy life and that we would know it and we'd be able to relate, not averting our eyes in shame, not you know, looking for an out in fear and not angrily damaging more relationships, but freedom and joy and belovedness, blissfulness. Lord Jesus, as we come to our confession, the confession of our trust in you, I pray that we would become happy. I pray that as we come to the confession of our sin, Lord, and our shame, I pray that we would receive the washing and the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, the procession of your spirit from the heart of your prayer right now to wash our hearts, that we would be pure to see you again and to know you and to be like you. Lord, we wanna walk away today being radiant. We want to walk away bearing um, with joy and a kind of innocent pridefulness. We want to walk away with the family traits that you mean for us to have a pure heart and eyes that see you. And we pray this in your holy name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.